Yes, I'm feeling good. Like you knew I would. Let me hear you scream and shout. That's it. Goes. Okay. Well, one day. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. I am Justin Pardee. I was trying to think of that thing that he said about the bi- trapped in bile. What was the description uh, of the Greek word gall. that you said? Trapped gall. in gall. I guess I wouldn't want to label myself that way. I am Justin Pardee, and I'm doing my best to uh, hold it down here, guys. Oh, I'm Stephanie Keen. I'm trying to just keep up. And we are here with our good friend and spiritual leader, Pastor Matt Brown. Yes, I am PMB, and I'm trying to lead this ragtag bunch. Oh, good, good luck with luck. that one, buddy. <laughs> well, hey, we love having you guys uh, tune into the show each and every single week where we take your questions that come up from the sermons here on the weekends at Sandals Church, as well as from your own reading in the Bible as we go through the books of Luke and Acts together as a church. Today is pretty awesome. We're going to be going through Acts chapter 8, but we got some follow-up the all the way back to... Luke 11. Whoa. Plus, we have a review, five-star iTunes review, that mentions Luke 11. No way. This is seriously, the stars have truly aligned. Uh, So for those of you guys who are regular listeners of the show, just buckle up because I have a feeling this one's going to be special. Mm. (laughs) So there we go. Before we get into uh, anything else here, let's share with you some of these awesome, awesome reviews that we got here. Listen, here we go. This one came from Talia on Facebook. A past episode of The Debrief helped me help another person on Instagram understand a passage in Luke 11. Wow. All right. Hmm. They love the insight I took from the podcast so much that they even wanted to start listening themselves. It's been a huge source of knowledge for me and something I look forward to every week. So you know what we look forward to every week, Talia? You listening and hearing as well. So... Thank you for leaving that review. And listen, if you are one of those folks who have a hard time figuring out how to leave an iTunes review, maybe you can try and jump on Facebook. Search for The Debrief Podcast. Find us over there. Just leave a nice positive comment for us. We will receive that into the depths of our hearts. And then we've got one more awesome five-star review from the iTunes store. This one comes from Huswabukum. <laughs> Wait to just Did you just jump into the Greek language well, yeah, Remember two episodes ago I told Stephanie, when you see a yeah, word, just, you don't know how to pronounce it, just hit it with some confidence. Yeah, I just liked watching your face try to work through that one. Yeah. It was great. So Hughes writes in and says, I love the depth of the Q&A banter you offer. So I'm trying to decide, does he like what we're doing right now, or does he like when Pastor Matt answers the questions? It's probably mm-hmm. when Pastor Matt answers the questions. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. Another mental raise for yes. Stephanie Keene. I'm two out of two right now. He yes. says, uh, my wife and I have had a hard time understanding the finality of the New Testament because her family is Mormon, and we will often get in the discussion of the Trinity, which is not what Mormons believe, but you all have done such a great job with the breakdown of the scripture. I think he means you specifically oh, Thank you very much. Remember and that. making it so understandable that it's truly helped us grow together spiritually. Next step, take all four of the kids to see you guys live. Oh, oh. let's do it. What do, we, what do you guys think about? We should do a live episode of the debrief. <gasps> yes. Record that it live. People so can come fun. in. We can take some audience questions. We'll have yes, Touchdown Jesus sitting there Ooh, next to us. Touchdown Jesus. We should do it at the plaza. Oh, oh man. Okay. that's a great idea. All right, we're guys, yeah. you Looks heard like it here a, first. We're, yeah. a fun thing. we're gonna have a future live episode of the podcast. The plaza. Mm-hmm. Or somewhere. Coffee. Yeah, you could bring us some snacks. I got maybe. pretty excited though, because I just was thinking about pizza. I mean, there's I was a too, lot I was of like, delicious oh, there's treats over there. The a lot of don't we'll get you a salad from Chipotle. You'll be fine. Pastor Matt. Uh, and he says He looks uh, fun. Yeah, I'm just and gonna, good food. I love Blaze Pizza, by the mm-hmm, way. Me too. As a father of four myself, I'm going to be praying for you, man. That's a one heck of a life that you lead. So, hey, we got some follow-up questions here. Stephanie, do you want to hit us with some of these ones? Actually, hold on. I got to share this one because I love it. Okay. This one came in. This is from Adam and Steve's group. This is what's so special. This question is from Luke chapter 11, 
verses 9 through Going 10. Going way wow. back. Do you think it would really confuse people if we titled this episode of The Debrief, Acts 8, colon, Luke 11? Yes. Don't yep. do that. My mother will never be able to find it. <laughs> All right. Luke, verses, Luke 11, verses 9 through 10. And so I tell you, keep on asking, Jesus says, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So Adam and Steve group says, I have been praying for a certain situation to happen. However, it has gone totally differently than what I would have hoped and been praying for. I have to be honest. It is discouraging and makes me angry with God that even though I believe I haven't received, I still pray and still believe, but with the situation I am in, it makes me think maybe I am taking this verse too literally. Can you please explain what these verses truly mean? Yeah, absolutely. So what I would first say is I think that the first thing that you have to understand as a believer is your timetable is not God's timetable. Like Mm -hmm. for example, you know, I'm sitting right now in our brand new offices here at Sandals Church. These offices are bigger than the buildings I used to pray and ask God for for our church. Hmm. So think about hmm. that, just the context of this building. So I used to pray and pray and pray and pray, God, please give us a building, give us a building, give us a building because we had no place to meet. Mm-hmm. And I got really discouraged because it wasn't happening. And I took that same verse, claimed it. We actually walked around property. Uh, there's all kinds of property in Riverside. Uh, one high school uh, right over in La Sierra, the brand new high school there. We walked that whole property. I mean, we walked it like Jericho, walked around it, claiming it, naming it, you, you know, and we mm-hmm. didn't get it. There's a high school there. We didn't get that. But ultimately God did come through and he did answer my prayer. It was not in the time that I thought he would answer. It was not in the place that I thought he would answer, but ultimately he answered my prayer according to his will. And so here we are now at Sandals Church, one church in three locations. I had no idea what God had in store for us and where God was leading us. And so what I would say is keep trusting. God will answer your prayer. Remember the three answers are no, yes, or wait. Hmm. No, yes, or wait. And so you just have to understand that when you ask God for something, he is not a slave to your request. This isn't a genie bottle where we rub it and we demand what we want. God says, keep asking. And why is that? Because when we keep asking, it helps us to understand how serious we are about the request. Now, again, we have to be very, very careful because a lot of times Christians get confused when somebody's terminally ill. Um, For example, we're going right after this to pray over a, a, a little girl that's very, very sick, terminally ill. Look, we're all going to die at some point. We don't know when that is. We don't know how that is. We don't know where that is. And so when we pray for healing, sometimes the answer is no, because the consequence of sin is death, unless God extraordinarily intervenes, like in the case of Enoch uh, in the Old Testament, or in the Old Testament where he was just sucked up to heaven and didn't face death. Um, but for most of us, the vast, vast majority, the 99.9999999% including Jesus, experienced death. And he didn't experience for his sin, but for our sins. And so we just have to trust that God is listening and God cares about us more than we care about ourselves. And so he's working in that process. And sometimes the reason for the delay is God doesn't wanna change our situation, but us. So just hang in there, keep praying, don't give up. I've been doing this a long time. I've seen God move. And just remind yourself, you're not God, he is. So you're making the request. You're humbly making the request, and God is going to give you the answer he chooses to give you, but you get to pray for whatever it is that you feel like you need. Is there ever an instance where we might be praying for something too specifically and would need to loosen that up? Oh, like, absolutely. Like if Adam was praying for some specific job yes. for Well, I years. prayed for a specific building. God, give me this okay. building. I could take you guys there, and you would laugh. I mean, our children's ministry wouldn't fit in it. God, mm-hmm. give us this. Mm-hmm. What I wanted was too small, way too small. God's like, no, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future, plans to give you a hope. And 
I mean, this happens with single people all the time. God, give me this guy or this gal. And God's like, that's not what you want. I got something better. And so it feels like God is, is never answering our prayer for a spouse. What he's doing is he's preparing us for the spouse that ultimately we need. And so that, that whole process is very, very difficult. And so just say that this is why you need to be in community where you can share your frustration and people can walk alongside with you. And just understand Christianity isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And you have to keep praying keep asking, keep trusting. That's what all the verbs in the passage say. Keep asking, keep seeking, don't give up. Why would God say that? Because most of us get frustrated and give Mm -hmm. up. Good stuff. Kind of on that same note, we talked in the last episode about how the people of Israel kept asking God for things over and over and over again. They asked for kings, they asked for temple. And God was saying like, no, you really don't want those things. Um, As we were talking even about like asking for things, like obviously I spent most of my life praying and asking God for a spouse, for a husband asked about very, like a lot of specific people like, oh, what about this? What about Mm -hmm. this? And God said, no. And I've now walked into a relationship, which is hopefully the relationship that will lead to me having a spouse now. And when I think back on, you know, what the Israelites are asking God for and having kings and having a temple brought trouble and brought hardship. Um, And I'm even looking now, being in a relationship, Paul says it's easier to be single, especially when you serve God and serve the church and seeing some of the challenges that come with that, but also seeing it as a good thing how do we know when we're asking God for something? Like, how do, is it okay to ask for those things knowing that like they will bring challenge? I've just been yeah. sort of wrestling through that. Well, I think ultimately you, you have to ask and then hear for God's voice. So in the instance of Israel praying for a king, God sent him a prophet who said, you don't want this. So God specifically spoke to that situation, but usually that's not the way that it works. So what we need to do is we need to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the words of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will usually speak through uh, one of three things. Number one, his word. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna read a passage and you're like, oh my gosh, there's my answer. Number two, his people. Mm -hmm. Or number three, he's just gonna speak to you directly. Mm -hmm. So it's usually in that order. First, his word. Second, through his people. Third, through you. And so God wants to give you that answer and tell you, no. And and ultimately, you know, I, I think that if it's something good, pray for it. And then just always end this, God, ultimately what I want is not what I want, I want your will because Mm -hmm. God knows what's best. Mm -hmm. And so I'm gonna entrust you to that. And that's the dichotomy of prayer. God, I want this, I believe this is the best for my life, but ultimately I'm not God, you are, so I submit to your will. And that's what Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if there's any other way, I don't wanna die here. I don't wanna Mm -hmm. die this horrific death. However, not my will be done, but yours. And so Jesus shows us this classic example of our bold request and our humble acknowledgement that we are not God. And so we need to do both of that. And, and so that's another thing that, you know, you could pray, pray, pray and get a spouse and God answers that. And then, you know, I hope this doesn't work out with you and Tyler's case, but it could be, it could be drama. And then you're like, oh my gosh, why would you give this to me? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, Israel got a king and, 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 that, and Saul was good for a while and then went a little cray cray. So uh, that happened. So we just have to learn to, again, be in community, be in God's word, Wisdom doesn't come instantaneously. You cannot microwave wisdom. It comes from studying God's word over a period of time and you cannot fast track that process. Mm -hmm. So ultimately grow in your faith, grow in your relationship with God, grow in your relationship with other Christians. And in time, you will learn how to discern the will of God. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, Adam and Steve's group, want to encourage you, if you happened to miss the weekend Pastor Matt preached on Luke 22 early this year, go back to sandalsearch.com and click watch a sermon. And in Luke 22... You talked a lot about this when you walked through what it was like for Jesus to pray um, there in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died, and also the Debrief podcast on episode Luke 22. You had some other uh, commentary on this stuff, so uh, hopefully that would be helpful to you. 
Thanks for sending in the question, man. Really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, great question. All right, let's jump into Acts chapter 8. This is uh, pretty exciting. A lot of cool different things happen here. In uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. When it says all the believers there, does that mean the thousands of people who were saved in the last few chapters of Acts? Yeah, so... It seems to indicate that, yes, it was, but scholars are not in agreement on this. And so the question is, it may have been all of the uh, Greek-speaking believers were scattered throughout Judea, uh, with the exception of the apostles. So so we don't know. It would be somewhat bizarre for Aramaic Jews to be scattered from their own homes, but that may, in fact, happen. And, and ultimately, we don't know. So um, we know the apostles stayed, and we know that believers were scattered. So what I would say is, for sure, we know all Greek-speaking uh, uh, believers are scattered, but probably maybe it was a temporary scattering for the Aramaic-speaking Jews, and then they came back home because it's their home. Right. And so, um, and the local authorities, remember, they have great fear for the apostles. So nobody's going to directly oppose them because Ananias and Sapphira died. Mm-hmm. And so people are still a little weirded out by that. Right. And so they, they have, even though they don't agree with them, they have some reverence for them. So they're allowed to stay. But basically the church is scattered. All of the Greek-speaking Jews would have been scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so here we see the, the Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see this being fulfilled. They have been witnesses in Jerusalem. And now the very thing that's trying to shut the church down is the very thing that ultimately causes the church to expand. So maybe this has been about five to 10 years. We're not exactly sure since the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. The church has basically just kind of been in Jerusalem and they haven't left and it's kumbaya and we're all loving each other and caring for each other and they haven't accomplished the mission of God by going to all the nations. And so God uses suffering to accomplish his mission. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, unfortunately for us in Christians, that's the way many of us are uh, obedient to Christ as we go through a hard, hardship, we go through heartache, we go through suffering and we realize, okay, I gotta get back to the mission of God, because many of us confuse our mission and our desires with God's mission and God's desires. And so God uses suffering to wake us up and persecution to get us to where we need to be. Uh, you know, ultimately I think about, you know, the start of Sandals Church. Uh, I was at a great church in Huntington Beach and I just I just didn't fit in there. I wasn't connecting there. The people were great, but I just, I just didn't identify with the church leadership and it just got more and more difficult. And every staff meeting, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and what God was doing was getting me out of there. You got, you got, you got to get me where, you know, where I needed to go. And, and oftentimes that happens. We go through hardship. We go through trouble at work, trouble in a relationship for us to get to where we need to be. And so uh, that's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. So the text is, I think, a little bit ambigu- ambi- ambi- ambiguous. There we go. Mm-hmm. Boom. Nailed the word ambiguous <laughs> here because it says all believers, but then the apostle stayed. And it seems to make sense historically that maybe everybody left at first, but the Aramaic uh, speaking Jews would have came back. Okay, so verse 3 says, But Saul was going around everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So the end of chapter 7 in uh, last week, we hear and see that Paul was sitting there supervising, and it even tells us that in verse 1 here of Acts chapter 8, that Paul was kind of supervising the um, stoning and the death and murder of Stephen and approved of that whole thing. And now he's kind of out and about going door to door. Is he kind of functioning on his own? Is he a part of the leadership of the the Jews here at this time? How is he operating? So the Apostle Paul is a part of the Greek-speaking Jew contingent. So he's super, remember we talked about in last week's podcast, these are the most 
militant. The, the, the biblical word is zealot, okay. but the English word is militant. These are the most militant Jews in Jerusalem, and so he's a part of that group. And so, yeah, he's taken upon his own. He's going, he's going over and above, but he's doing it with the authority of the Sadducees. They're, you know, the, the political powers that be, they're not stopping this. Right. They're approving of this, and he's going from uh, door to door. Uh, verse two, which you didn't ask me about, says some devout men came and buried uh, Stephen with great mourning. Mm-hmm. And so that indicates that there still are some Christians in Jerusalem, probably okay. Aramaic Christians, and they were brave, like um, Joseph of Arimathea and um, uh, Nicodemus, who came before Pilate to ask for his body, because you you, you did not, in Jewish culture, ask to bury um, a person that was considered a criminal. You didn't do that, mm-hmm. because what you're doing is you're siding with the person who was judged. And so it was a very, very dangerous thing, but they were very, very brave, and they came and took care of uh, Stephen and honored him in that way. Yeah, Paul's going door to door. Think about that door to door, looking for Christians to persecute, to round them up, dragging them out. It's, it's just, it's awful here, both men and women. Hmm. I mean, this is, this is what this guy's doing. And this is why it's so important that you understand no matter how religious you are, you know, if you're a Muslim listening to me, if you, can, if you grew up Catholic or Lutheran or even Protestant or even here at Sandals Church, if you do not have the Holy Spirit in your heart, this can become you. You can be so zealous for God that you actually harm people in the name of God. And this is what all passionate religion looks like apart from a changed heart. Our hearts are hardened and utterly wicked and we need to be saved. We need a new heart and a new life. And the apostle Paul knows a ton about God, probably more than most of our listeners. And yet Hmm. he's fighting against God and it's so tragic. Hmm. So in verses four through six, it says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. So is this the first time that the gospel is being shared in places other than Jerusalem? Yeah, absolutely. So this is this is the movement of God. This is the accomplishment of God's will. And so the text actually says he went to the city of Samaria. And, and really, the Greek language is a little bit difficult here. It, it really means to be to the people of Samaria. So we don't know specifically where he is or what city he's in. We just know that he's in an area with Samaritans, and that's where he is. And so remember, he's running from persecution and he's preaching as he goes. And as he goes, he encounters Samaritans. So we don't know geographically exactly where he is, but we know ethnically he is now speaking to Samaritans. And for those of you who don't know, Samaritans were kind of uh, considered half-breeds. So we had that, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had that big uh, real conversation about Mm -hmm. race. And one of the black women that I talked to afterwards, she grew up during the Watts riots. And so her Dad is black and her mom is white, and so she's mixed race. Wow. And she said during the Watts riots, she was beat by both. Hmm. So she, was, she, she, she wasn't white and she wasn't embraced by blacks at that time. And so she found herself in danger by both groups that were fighting. And that's what a Samaritan was. A Samaritan wasn't a Gentile and they weren't a Jew. They were, they were mixed race. And so they found themselves really hated by everybody. And it would have, it would have never occurred to a Jew to share their religion and faith with a Samaritan. They were considered rebels, half-breeds, ethnically impure. They had turned their backs on God's. And what's so amazing here is this is the first step in God reconciling the world to himself. So who does he start with first? The half-breeds, those who are half-Jewish. So we start with Jews, the gospel goes to the Jews, then it goes to the Hellenistic-speaking Jews. Now it goes to those who are, have some Jewish uh, culture in them mm-hmm. and it's just amazing. And then ultimately it's going to go to the Gentiles. So this is the gospel marching forward. And it's just, I, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I love everything about this chapter. I think Chal, uh, 
chapter seven was challenging. Chapter eight is is not so challenging to understand, but it's just dynamic and it's fun. It's one of those one of those great great chapters. Really quickly, when when you're saying that the Samaritans probably would have had some understanding of Jewish culture. So in many ways, that would have almost been like a bridge for them to understand the message, maybe in a way that like totally non, like just Greeks or Romans or whatever that had no knowledge of Jewish history would not understand. Is that yeah, they would have been much easier to evangelize. And so Samaritans still worshiped the one true God. They did it in their own way. They, they had their own temple. They had their own practices. They were waiting not for the Messiah. They called him the Tahib was how they used it in their language. And okay. so there were some differences between the Jewish Messiah and the Samaritan Tahib. But what they were doing is waiting for one who would teach them all truth. Remember the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well? She says, are you one of whom the prophets spoke about who will teach us how to worship God in spirit and truth? And remember what Jesus says to the Samaritan woman? Mm-hmm. He says, I am the one. Yeah. So I am your Tahib, the right. one that you're waiting for. Uh, but to the Jews, he says, I am the Messiah. So he's the one the prophet spoke about it. He's the one that they are waiting for. And so, yeah, I think what God is doing is he's warming up the church and they're practicing. So you first preach to Jews, then you preach to Hellenistic Jews, then you step out in faith again. And now you're preaching to Samaritans before you really get to the difficulties and you begin to deal with Gentiles who know nothing about God. Hmm. And we need to remember this as we evangelize is we have to talk to people. Like if you talk to somebody who was raised in church, you can use language to tell them about Jesus that's very, very biblical. But if someone has no understanding of God or no understanding of the church or no understanding of anything, we need to use language. That's why it's so stupid when you see these people um, at sporting events with signs that say, repent of your sins. That's biblical language that is used in the context of people who have an understanding of what God is. And so what happens is the very language they think that is going to draw people to them is actually repelling them because it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. They don't understand what that means and it just makes us look like a bunch of weirdos. And so it's so sad that Christians try to evangelize Gentiles like Jews and you can't do that. You can't preach Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Athens. Mm -hmm. The apostle Paul preaches a completely different sermon when we get to it in Acts 17. I mean, he doesn't even talk about scriptures. He talks about their God. I see you have a temple here to an unknown God. Well, let me tell you who that unknown God is. His name is Jesus. Boom, he's got to find a way in. And so that's what's happening here. And so we all need to be thinking about that um, with the language that we use with non-believers. Like for example, I was at um, Thanksgiving dinner with some family members. I have some of my family that are very, very Christian and some that are not Christian at all. And one of my non-Christian family members was sharing her struggles and she was going through some difficult times. My aunt says... Point blank, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that makes sense to a Christian, Mm -hmm. to somebody who understands the Bible. To a non-Christian, that just sounds like God's insensitive and doesn't care. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any Mm -hmm. sense at all. And yet that's what she said. So you've got to watch your words. Don't use church language when talking to unchurched people. Use everyday normal language. So you've heard me at church. I say, instead of repent of your sins, I say the only thing separating from you and God is a sincere apology. Yeah. Most people know what that is. Now, that doesn't mean everything that repentance is, but at least it's a bridge to help me get to them, to get them to where they need to be. Most people understand what an apology is. Right. Okay, so um, things continue on here. And while Philip is out and about, verses 9 through 10 say this, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Now, don't judge me here, Pastor Matt, or listeners, but is magic for real? Is this like David Blaine style happening here out on the streets? 
Yeah. I, well, I think David Blaine is a charlatan. He's using hand tricks, you know, sleights of hand and gestures and stuff like that. Certainly that there are powers that people are able to do. So go all the way back to Moses. Moses turned his staff into a snake. The Bible says that the magicians of Pharaoh could do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be a Christian to be able to use supernatural power. There are ways that you can gain supernatural power apart from Christ. The devil has it, demons have it, and, and there's ways to utilize this. It seems like this guy's a trickster. Um, so, um, you know, is there power in words and incantations and stuff like that? S- certainly, we talked about in uh, my sermon a couple of weeks ago, don't let Satan, why have you let Satan fill your heart in an ice and sapphire? Right. There are things that we can do to give the enemy, to give demonic powers uh, weight in our lives. And so this individual may, may be doing that, but you know, in the end times, the Bible says that the Antichrist, he will do great works and will fool the nations. Mm-hmm. So the Antichrist, who's the opposite of God, will have these incredible powers. So we need to understand that just because a person has power doesn't mean that that's of God. So I guess my, my long answer was yes. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so you mentioned Ananias and Sapphira. So they got struck down just for lying about how much money they were giving to the church. This guy's over here doing witchcraft or tricks or whatever, and not den- like people were telling him, oh, that's the power of God, and he's not denying that. Yeah. That seems way more serious to me. Why isn't he struck dead? Yeah, so that's a great question. And here's the difference. And if you're listening and you call yourself a Christian, listen very, very carefully. The Bible says judgment starts with the house of God. Ananias and Sapphira were believers, and they fell into sin, and so God dealt with them. Simon, at this point, is an unrepentant Gentile or Samaritan here. He's an unrepentant Samaritan who is far from God and has not yet heard the gospel and is not accountable for what he does. He will be held accountable at the end of this and be warned severely. But at this point in time, he is not yet a believer. And so he gets a greater measure of grace. I know what sin is. I know what adultery is. I know what coveting is. I know what lying is. I know all of those things because I have the Holy Spirit living inside me. And so God holds me to a different standard because he has put his spirit inside me. And as Christians, we need to take sin more seriously than non-believers. And, and, and oftentimes we take it less seriously. So that's why Anais and Sapphira dropped dead. But this guy's not saved yet. This guy's completely lost. And notice here, Christians, he's gonna get preached to. Mm-hmm. We don't need to write off sinners. We need to go to sinners and preach the gospel to them because they need to be saved. So I think that answers it. Okay, so there's a little middle chapter here to this story about Simon the sorcerer. Verses 14 through 17 say, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So why had these believers not yet received the Holy Spirit, even though they're being called believers? Right. So so what is Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's the birth of the church. And so what you're going to see is you're going to see an extraordinary one-time event, movement of the Holy Spirit, every time the gospel breaks boundaries. So there's a, a Pentecost-like, or Pentecost happens to Jews in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them in a very unique way. Now the gospel has just transcended, and it has crossed Uh, racial and ethnic lines. And so the Holy Spirit needs to validate this as the movement of God. Because notice, they didn't intentionally do this. They did this because they were persecuted and they fled. And so Philip goes out and he's just proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. And oh my gosh, all these people get saved, which by the way, it says Simon, the sorcerer, the magician, he repents of his sins Mm -hmm. and he is baptized. Yeah. So he recognizes, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. 
And he recognizes that there's, there's power in Philip that he does not have. There's something in Philip that he doesn't have. So regardless of whether his magic was real at some level or not, he sees that when Philip comes preaching and proclaiming, you know, people are saved, people are healed, uh, demons are cast out. I mean, amazing, amazing things are happening. Signs, powers, and wonders are following Philip that are extraordinary. And so now the disciples come from Jerusalem to validate that yes, this is God. So remember in the same way, when the disciples chose the seven mm-hmm. um, men full of the Holy Spirit, they chose Stephen and Philip and they prayed over them. They put their hands up. They were validating these guys. They're saying, this is a part of our movement. And, and this is important. Um, a couple of years ago, there was, there was a guy who named his church Sandals Church and was telling people that he knew me personally and that he was a part of this church. I never met the guy in my life, mm-hmm. but he was using the credibility of Sandals Church to propitiate his own church. And so people you know, that would move out in that area were like, oh, you're friends with Matt. Yeah, I am. I'd never, to my knowledge, had never met the guy. And so we, we asked him to cease and assist because our hands weren't laid on him. And, and, and I don't want to get in trouble for what he's doing. Yeah. And so it's just really, really important that we see here that, you, that we all remain tied to that original 12 apostles, that there is a connection between us and them, that this is not a secondary movement. This is not a different movement. This is a continuation of what the Holy Spirit is doing as God draws all peoples to himself. And so the Holy Spirit comes on a unique way. But what's amazing here is it does not come until the disciples from Jerusalem come to these believers who have, the text says, only received the baptism of Jesus. So I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying here. Let's say I grew up here in Southern California, and I was never really a Christian, and I come to Sandals Church, and I um, become a believer, and I start to follow God. I should not expect a secondary baptism of the Holy Spirit empowering me in my life. Well, yes and no. So we should always seek more experiences with the Holy Spirit through our entire lives. We want to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. However, when you are born again, when you become a born-again Christian, to become a child of God, you have to have the Spirit of God in your heart. Mm-hmm. So when these people repented of their sins, they placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there was a change. They had the Spirit of God living in them. However, the Spirit's power was not manifested until this happened. Um, so just so you know, the Holy Spirit goes, the Holy Spirit's like wind, blows where he wants, when he wants, how he wants. There's no formula for this. There are Christians who have had a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit years after they have been right. a Christian. They may call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For me, theologically, the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at salvation. However, there may be a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit weeks later, months later, years later. It can come, when you read the book of Acts, it can come through the laying on of hands. It can come while worshiping. It can come while praying. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you when he chooses to come upon you. The Holy Spirit is a person just like Jesus. He's not just a force. The Holy Spirit is a thinking, feeling person Mm -hmm. and he comes upon them. And so here he is validating this as yes, these believers are not because if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't validate these guys, they're still Samaritans. They're still separated from the Jews. And God is saying, no, I want one family. And so it's important that they experience the same thing that uh, the Jews experienced to bring them together. And so that's why. So yes, you could have another experience. You could have an experience right now on the show, which would be awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, this might look different perhaps if I, if I had, let's say, grown up in India, in a rural part of the country where I had been only Hindu my entire life, worshiping other gods, never heard about the idea of Jesus, grace, any of those things. 
and someone, you know, perhaps from our church, came and exposed those truths to me and several people in the village that I am mm-hmm. a part of who had never, ever, ever heard about Jesus, the church, or anything, became believers and were starting to function like the church in their area, perhaps like the Samaritans Yeah, so here. the Holy Spirit is most powerfully at work when we're breaking ethnic lines, Got when it. we are reaching new people groups for Christ. That's when you see the Holy Spirit most powerfully at work. And, uh, and that's what makes so sad. So much of the movements of the Holy Spirit becomes inward focused hmm. and the church becomes all about themselves. The power of the Holy Spirit is at its height when the gospel is being proclaimed. And like I said, new, new ethnic peoples, new regions, places that were formerly darkness that are now light where, where, where uh, boundaries are being broken and the gospel is going forth. That's when the Holy Spirit comes powerfully. Cool. So in verse 18, it says, when Simon saw that the spirit was given when the apostles lay their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. He said, let me have this power too, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. What on earth is this about Simon asking to buy the ability to give people the Holy Spirit? Yeah, well, and and I think that a lot of people have made a lot of money doing this in Mm. the church today, you know, trying to pretend like the Holy Spirit is this thing that can be controlled. Mm. It cannot be controlled because the Holy Spirit is God. It is God's spirit. So what's interesting here is uh, Peter and John show up. They don't do any of the evangelizing. Peter does. Peter preaches the gospel. They show up. They laid hands on the people because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting here is my assumption from the text is that Simon did not receive the Holy Spirit or he received the Holy Spirit, but wanted to give the Spirit. I, I think he, he, he did not get the Spirit. And so for some reason here, there, there's a problem here that Peter's gonna call out because he wants to use the Holy Spirit for his own purposes. So he's repented and believed in Jesus, but he still is seeing this whole religious thing as a way to make money for himself. Mm-hmm. This is a new movement to be a part of. And what's interesting is a couple hundred years later, uh, Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, writes about a cult called the Simonians who draw their existence all the way back to the book of Acts to this guy. Mm-hmm. And they proclaim their magical powers and really their, their thinking, theology, and philosophy all the way back to this guy. Now, we don't know whether they're connected or not, um, but the people hundreds of years later that Justin Martyr was dealing with thought they were connected. And mm-hmm. so this guy may have never actually really become a Christian or he had rejected or walked away from his faith. But what's interesting here is he thinks that the Holy Spirit is something that can be used. The only thing that can be used is you and I, and that's by the Holy Spirit. We cannot use the Holy Spirit. Any person that's try, that's using the Holy Spirit, is it's manipulating, it's faking, it, it's not real. And so this guy says, give me that power so that when I lay hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Look, the Holy Spirit comes upon them when he chooses, and he chose to do this through the Holy Spirit. And uh, verse 20, Peter replied, your money will be destroyed, or may your money be destroyed with you for your thinking that God's gift can be brought. Now, you asked me, why wasn't he judged before? In the text, it says he repented and believed. So now he's calling himself a part of the family of God and his life is on the line, mm-hmm. just like Ananias and Sapphira's life is on the line because they are children of God and God deals differently with his children from unrepentant sinners. He wants to save unrepentant sinners. He disciplines his children. So um, this is pretty scary here. So verse 13 tells us that Simon had already become a believer and been baptized. And what we know, we just talked about this, repentance is a part of that. But now when Peter is chastising him, he says, you know, repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Why would Peter tell Simon to repent if he's already done that? 
in his process of becoming a believer? Well, because repentance is something that a believer needs to do almost every day. I mean, the reality is okay. I sin every day, every single day, and I need to ask God uh, to forgive me for it. And I know that I know that I, I am forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, but I still need to, as 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sins to God and he is faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so as Christians, we don't just wanna be forgiven of sin, we don't wanna live in sin. So even though I always exist in a state of forgiveness, I don't always live in a state of cleanliness. And so I need, I need to get that off me. It's just like what you shared a couple weeks ago with Tim. You, you felt compelled. I need to tell Tim this. I got to get this off my chest. And that's how a believer needs to view sin in their life with God. I, I got to share this. I got to get this off my chest. I can't hold this in any longer. The good news is God is faithful to forgive us when we do that. The bad news is if we don't confess it, we carry the weight of that sin in our life. Hmm. We're not letting Jesus carry that weight for us uh, physically, spiritually, and emotionally until we confess it to him. Now, that's not saying anything about the, your eternal state. We are forgiven mm -hmm. of our sins forever by the blood of Christ, and he forgives us for the sins past, sins present, and sins future. But the reality of living in that state of forgiveness and that right relationship only comes as Christians when we apologize. So Simon here is a believer, he's repented of his sins, places faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And just like me, he screwed up and he needs to get this right. And his sin is so bad. And I think about uh, you know, two uh, debriefs ago, you know, we talked about not all sin the same. His sin is so bad, you know, Peter seems to indicate God may not forgive this. Yeah, this he is, says yeah. This perhaps is bad. the Lord will forgive you. Yeah. So, um, and I think what Peter's trying to do here, it's not that God can't forgive this sin, it's just that, Look, that you are perverting, you are perverting the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, go all the way back to Jesus. Those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. Don't mess with the Spirit of God. Ananias and Sapphira did it and lost. Simon is dancing with the Spirit in a negative way, and 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 this could go really really bad. Hmm. And what's interesting is is we don't know that he repented because what he says is he says, "Pray to the Lord for me." Mm -hmm. He, he, does, he doesn't repent. He asks them to do it, which that doesn't work. Hmm. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you next is you, I see, I'm around with you on the weekends and people come up to you and ask you to pray for them. Why do you think it is that so many people want someone else to pray for them rather than praying to God themselves? Yeah, well, I think for most people, we all know that we're not as close to God as we should be. And so the assumption is that this pastor, this preacher is closer to God than I am. And so what they want is, that person to pray to God for them. I'm glad to do it, um, but the reality is God wants you to be as close to him as I am, if not closer. And I think as a believer grows, they can learn to pray out to God. The reality is Simon just became a Christian. He's a yeah. baby Christian. He doesn't understand how this works. He can clearly see that Peter and John are exercising authority and power that he does not have. Mm -hmm. And so what he's saying is you're closer to God. Please pray to God for me. What he really should have said is the response back in, um, Acts chapter uh, two and three, what should we do? Oh, okay. So the, the Jewish believers say, what should we do? And then Peter says, repent and believe. And so he doesn't ask that. He asks Peter and John to take care of it for him, which I think is means he doesn't get it. And that's the end of the story. We, we don't know what happens, so... Okay, so then we, we have a major shift in the narrative here, and uh, we're going to have this encounter with Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. And verses 26 through 29 say, As Philip, uh, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under the Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. So that's two times that the Holy Spirit is giving very, very specific, like, Mm -hmm. directional instructions to Philip. Should we as Christians today still, like, hope and pray or even expect, I guess, God to give that kind of direction to us? Absolutely. I I think it's sad that we don't hear from God. Hmm. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit told me to start Sandals Church. The Holy Spirit told me what the vision of Sandals Church should be. The Holy Spirit has spoken to me many, many times. I hear hear God's Spirit uh, speak all the time. Primarily, He speaks through His Word. Secondarily, He speaks through His people. Uh, Third, He speaks directly to you. So, Philip doesn't have the New Testament, so the Holy Spirit is more active speaking directly to him to tell him exactly what to do. Because what he's asking him to do here is to break down. So the gospel just went to Samaritans. Wow, I can't believe this. And now the gospel is gonna take this first leap to the first Gentile convert in the history of Christianity. Isn't that incredible? Mm -hmm. This is the first convert. And uh, it's this powerful black man from uh, modern day Ethiopia. Uh, who is a eunuch, uh, means he's been castrated. He has no testicles. Uh, They did that in the ancient world uh, because men uh, were not to be trusted if they had testicles. (laughs) So uh, men were were much more faithful. limited only to the ancient world? Yeah, yeah. men were much more faithful when they were missing their testes. So here's the challenge though, is that the Bible says that he could not participate in temple worship because if, if you have your testicles cut off, you could not participate in temple worship. So here's That's, uh, this, Deuteronomy 23, one for those of you guys wondering yeah, the specific reference in the drop Bible. Drop in testicular <laughs> yeah, wisdom. I got Thank that you. one memorized. Oh yeah. So what's so sad is this guy's converted to Judaism, wants de- so desperately to be close to God. He's wealthy, he's powerful, he's successful, but he still can't get in. Hmm. He still can't get in. Why? Because the temple made by human hands can't get him in, hmm. but the cross can. Hmm. And so the Holy Spirit sends him uh, to this guy to teach him how he can worship God in spirit and in truth. And it is by the blood of Christ because we are not kept from God by our imperfections, but we are drawn to God by the perfection of Christ. Hmm. And that's what he's gonna experience here. So it's awesome. That's incredible. Um, so in verses 30 and 31, it says that Philip runs over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. So why is this eunuch reading something that he knew he couldn't understand on his own? Well, I think what it means is this guy's a serious disciple. So he's a serious, serious disciple. He's devoted his life. So he's taken time, money, energy to travel to the to the temple of God to worship the one true God from Ethiopia. He's not worshiping his gods, his cultural gods, his world. He has gone to worship the one true God. And this passage in Isaiah 53 is one of the most difficult passages to understand, not just for Ethiopian eunuchs, but for scribes. And they debated, is Isaiah talking about himself or, is it, or who is this suffering servant? And, and here's what we need to understand is, all of us have to have the scriptures explained to us. Right? So go back to the road to Emmaus. Jesus opened their minds to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The gospel uh, in the book of Acts, their minds are opened to the scriptures. So now what does Philip have to do? He has to open the Gentile mind to the scriptures. Without the spirit of God, we cannot understand the scriptures of God. We need the spirit of God and somebody has to teach us and tell us what it means. And that's why we're doing the debrief. You know, you shouldn't feel bad that, well, I don't understand this. Okay, that's why we're here, you know? So, um, you know, Justin's the eunuch and, and I'm Philip <laughs> telling him 
what to think and believe. <laughs> hey, I'm everybody, just here to watch to everything go down. That totally sounds like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in verses 35 through 36, um, says that Philip is explaining him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. T- two quick questions. Do you think Philip explained what baptism was to him as he was talking about Isaiah 53? That's why the eunuch knew it was important, or was there something else there? And then he like goes, all right, I got this Jesus thing. Now I'm getting baptized. He says, why can't I be now? Should, should we be doing baptism that quickly nowadays. So no, we should not do baptism that quickly. And here's why. This guy is a student of the scriptures. Mm. He has devoted his life to scriptures. So here's what's important. He knows what sin is. He knows what repentance is. Now he knows what God's grace is. And now he knows how to receive God's grace. So why has he gone to the temple? To be right with God, to worship the one true God. He has been excluded. So what is this new gospel? Inclusion is not through circumcision. Inclusion, the physical representation of inclusion is baptism. So what he's saying is, hey, I've never been able to get in, mm-hmm. but, but if I understand what you're saying about this Jesus, is I immediately have permission to come as close to God as I can ever be. That needs to happen right now. Why? Because he's just traveled away in a depressed manner from not being included into the very heart of God. And so he says, I want to do this right now. So I think that before people are baptized, they need to understand what sin is, what repentance is, and what Jesus is. And they need to understand that baptism is like a wedding ceremony. You don't just get married super quickly. You get married after you've had some time to process and think about what's involved. Mm -hmm. And then it's a public testimony of your love for this person. That's what baptism is. It's a public testimony of your love and faith in Jesus. I'm going to live my life for Jesus and I want everyone to know. And that's why he's saying, I wanna do this. Let's do this right now. There's water. I got a witness, right? He's got all of his entourage with him. Mm -hmm. They're all here. They're gonna see that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wanna do this right now. And Philip goes, all right, and he baptized him. Hmm. All right, so the chapter wraps up and it says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north of the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So Philip just got snatched away. (laughs) Can we, what the heck just happened there? Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who love the end times, this is the Greek word harpazo which is translated in Latin, rapturo, which is where we get the idea of rapture from. So it is found three times in scripture. This is one of those three places. The other time is in 2 Corinthians where the apostle Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven. And then in Thessalonians where it says, we will be caught up with the Lord in the air. So this is one of the three areas where that word is used. This sounds kind of like teleportation. Yeah, yeah, boom, he's raptured. When people ask about favorite superpowers, that's totally the one I want. Yeah, yeah it's pretty sweet, actually. Yeah, sometimes I wish you'd disappear. So. <laughs> that's not nice oh, or kind. I'm going to go talk to Tammy. Sick burn, bro. Yeah, sorry. I need Jesus in my heart. <laughs> so when they came up out of the water, the Spirit snatched Philip away. So it's right. It's amazing. I want you to, one thing notice here for all my Catholic brothers and sisters, I love you. Came up out of the water. There's reason we baptize by immersion. The word baptize means to immerse, to dip under. Um, All early Catholic churches have baptismals where people go underwater. It's later on that they started sprinkling. So that's why we do that at this church. We baptize by immersion. So notice here, that's what happened to him. He came up out of the water. So he went down, he came up outer. This is the early church practice. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. It's just awesome, man. I mean, it's just, this, this is how dynamic the Holy Spirit is right now. It's just absolutely incredible. 
Man, good stuff. What a uh, great, great episode. This was a really fun and inspiring chapter, and I love Mm -hmm. how, um, yeah, it's just really cool to see, even in Acts chapter 7, God has been continuing, was like trying to stretch his people to get them to do and accept and respond to him. Now in Acts chapter 8, he's just kind of slowly stretching the church, and they seem to be responding in a really cool and new way, and um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, one more thing real quick. So in our translation, the NLT, and uh, in the ESV, there's no verse 37. So I don't know if you guys caught that. Oh, oh no. So I don't do numbers. Th- yeah, there's no verse 37. So let me read you verse 37, and then I'll talk about why it's not in there. So it says, as they rode along, this is verse 36, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Verse 37, that's not in most of your Bible, says, Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart, and the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and then he's baptized. So this is not in the earliest manuscripts, but it is an addition found a couple hundred years later that is put in there because the scribe, for whatever reason, thought that it was important that all those reading the book of Acts would understand that you need to make a confession of Christ before you're baptized. Mm -hmm. And so here's the beauty of this is, no, it should not be scripture, but what it tells us is that from very early on, to be a Christian, it was the understanding of the church that you have to believe in Christ with all your heart and believe that he's the son of God. It's mm-hmm. pretty powerful. And I think it's a, you know, it's it's not scripture, but it is history of what the early church proclaimed and thought. And so I'm grateful to that scribe, whoever he is, oh, uh, that's cool. that wrote that down because we now know what the early church thought you had to do to be baptized. And so it mm-hmm. didn't occur in the original manuscripts, but a scribe later on told us, hey, look, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the son of God. So I think that's that's pretty powerful. And uh, meanwhile, Philip's gonna work his way up uh, to Caesarea and it's gonna be cool. Um, uh, Astos is just north of Joppa where we go as a church. That's where uh, Jonah got spit out. It's pretty cool. Little place down near the Gaza Strip, which is a really exciting place to live. <laughs> you don't want to go there. Fair enough. Well, awesome, man. This is really good. I'm excited to move forward with uh, Acts chapter nine. I think something pretty cool is going to happen in yes. that Saul guy's life, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool, guys. Thanks so much for listening in every week. Of course, we live uh, off of uh, your questions here on the show. They're super awesome. Well, I live it, off Jesus, but yeah. Well, this show I live itself. Off the, power of God. the show itself is what I meant. I didn't mean like we. I mean, like, oh, kind of the show. I know. You said we live off. Yeah. Jeez, you guys are. I think his new nickname nitpickers. is Simon. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Works for me. Uh, um, well, guys, we thank you so much for tuning into the debrief. Oh, that's oh. the eunuch. Simon's <laughs> yeah. the magician. Oh, yeah, were, you li- were you listening <laughs> this whole episode? Yes. Sorry, guys. I was uh, busy reading the questions people submit in for this show. I live off those things. Oh, yeah, we would we love know. to get your questions here on the show. You can send them in on our Facebook page. Just look for the debrief podcast on Facebook. Go to sandalsearch.com slash the debrief. And of course, we love your iTunes, your iTunes five-star oh. reviews. Um, yeah, I like so iTunes. Ice, yeah, we love your iTunes. Yeah. So here's the deal before we leave with this week's podcast here in your earballs, we want to make sure that you are filling them up with some great inspiration. One of Stephanie Keene's famous inspirational quotes that she wrote herself. I'm still trying to figure out what an earball is, but uh, I'll move on. Uh, this week's quote the best things in life are free. Yeah, unless you have to pay for them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs>